and welcome back to Oh God It Burns, your buyer's guide to bad comics. As you all now know, Dan DeDio was recently let go from his position as publisher of DC Comics, and while he left a lot of genuinely good comics behind him, there were many missteps along the way, especially those that followed what I like to call DeDio's decree. His admitted editorial philosophy that heroes shouldn't be happy. Last week, we covered one such gem from this era, the fantastically miserable Justice League Cry for Justice, and this week, we're going to take it one step further by covering its follow-up series, which has somehow been able to reach almost mythic levels of notoriety among us connoisseurs of graphic garbage. I, of course, am talking about the impressively disastrous Rise of Arsenal miniseries by incoming Green Arrow writer J.T. Kroll. Clocking in at only four issues, this series makes itself essential to any collector's long box of cursed and forbidden comics, including some very memorable scenes that show the erectile consequences of superhero child loss. The first appearance of the beloved crack ghost of Jazz Past, do I smell a key issue? And a scene where a smacked out Arsenal tries to resuscitate a dead cat that he had mistaken for his dead daughter. And if that wasn't enough to convince you to give this a buy, then what if I told you that this title holds the unofficial record for most non-violent clenched fists ever jammed into a single issue? That's right, guys. The fists are clenched, and there aren't no punches being thrown. This is one for the ages, ladies and gentlemen, so snuggle up with your copy of 2010's Justice League, The Rise of Arsenal, on the only podcast dedicated to celebrating the worst comics ever published... Oh God, it burns. All right, guys, welcome back to another uh, thrilling episode of Oh God, it burns. I'm your podmaster, Nick. I'm the drunken Wikipedia of comics, Bruno. <laughs> and following up on the uh, extreme disappointment, not just on your end, <laughs> on our end too, that was Cry for Justice. We are jumping into the main event of this one, a little follow-up series to it that is more infamous in the comic book circles, then actually cry for justice. Because for every bit of mediocrity and every bit of just like kind of phoning it in that Justice League Cry for Justice did, Rise of Arsenal is just like doubles down on the worst aspects on this, the worst tonal, like, uh, it, like just, yeah, just the worst shit that you could think of and just says, I'm going to give it to you better than you've ever had it before. You're going to eat this shit sandwich. You're going to be talking about this for a while, and boy, is it. This is like the equivalent of, like, telling a Holocaust joke at, like, a Jewish church, and then having a dude walk in with an SS uniform after you. That dude in the uniform is Rise of Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably one of the most appropriate... <laughs> analogies that I've heard for this comic book. It really is. It's like, yeah, that was bad. Yeah, whatever. Uh, you haven't seen anything yet. It's like, you know when uh, uh, Zack Snyder was doing all the uh, press junkets for Batman versus Superman and he was saying like, you think Christopher Nolan's Batman was dark? In my Batman movie, Batman will probably get raped in prison. And that was one of the big things he said. That was so, like, why would you say that? The why would you say that? You take that and you bottle it up and you crush it up and you put it into people's inks and their pens and digitally inject it into the printers. This is the product of that. Why would you do that? That comes out the of it. The best. I, 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 after reading this, I had to find out if it was just me. So I read, like, multiple reviews when it came out just to see what the actual critics that read comics were. And the best one I have it committed to memory is this is the Mono's Hand of Fate of comic books. It is pretty w- Which, awful. if you get Mystery Science Theater, you know exactly what you're in for right now. Mm-hmm. All right, oh so let's God. go ahead and so kick this off. we're going to jump into this. Bruno, go ahead. Give us a two-minute plot summary. All right, two-minute plot <laughs> summary. Here we go. All right, reeling from... And actually, the, the first issue takes place very nice. Like, it, it, it brings you in. You have a single father, Roy Harper, in the Just League Watchtower, talking to his daughter, you know, getting ready to tuck her in. Uh, and this is going on right after, um, or right during, actually, the last parts of Cry for Justice. So he's saying goodnight to his daughter, and all of a sudden, here comes Freddie Freeman, and Freddie Freeman's throwing a punch on him. And then you find out that Freddie Freeman is not 
actually uh, Shazam or Captain Marvel, but he's secretly Prometheus in disguise. And the first page starts off with an epic battle between the two that results in Roy Harper losing his arm. And, um, and then we get to the catalyst of Star City's been destroyed. And who was in Star City? Well, Leon Harper, the very little girl that you saw on uh, him saying goodnight to in this very like affectionate moment. She is gone, and now you're left with these. Uh, this guy waking up to find out that he's lost his livelihood as an archer, he's lost his city, and he's lost his family, and all he has left is a desire for revenge. And uh, he goes back to his stomping grounds. He um, tries to put his pieces, his life back together. They try to give him an, a bionic arm, but there was complications from how he lost his arm. And little known history, or actually not that little known, but uh, if you're a big Green Arrow fan, you know that Speedy uh, wasn't just a clever nickname that they gave him. But yeah, at, was a, at one point user. in the 80s, during I think this was Neil Adams' this whole this thing. Is Neil Adams, this is the Denny O'Neill. This yep. is favorite, famous Neil Adams cover where Showing Green Arrow and Green use. Lantern are like, oh, oh, Speedy, he's a, no! Well, Speedy's he's a junkie! Oh my god! Straight into his arm. Like, this is his big fuck you to the comic book authority, where it's just like, no, you can't show that shit. Oh yeah, look at him freebase right, right on there. the cover! Um, so yeah, so there's this whole big you know, anti-drug issue and trying to get Speedy cleaned up. And this has been one of the black marks in Arsenal or Speedy's um, life. And he's since recovered. I mean, obviously, prior to this issue, he had left Speedy and Arsenal identities behind. Has become the uh, Red Arrow. As mentioned in previous podcasts, he was in a quasi-relationship with Hawkgirl, Kendra Saunders. He was a member of the JLA. He's now grown into his own he's no longer in green arrow shadow and this book is like just taking away everything he's got left um we go through some real lows which we'll get into uh later as he struggles with the loss in grand superhero fashion and the desire to get revenge um as he tries to since he can't kill the person as we found out in cry for justice prometheus is the grand architect of all of this is dead he goes to the the lackey so he tries he's trying to find the electrocutioner to go ahead and kill them and all of this eventually just makes way for him to join the teen uh, the titans which is led by deathstroke um later on although that in and of itself never really developed completely because he was kind of there for a bit well that was and also was, a different thing altogether gonna, too. but that was what, that's what it was leading that he was going to yeah. become he was going from you know superhero first class to like kind of the Marvel, uh, DC's version of Punisher, like an anti-hero, where he's just gonna go around and punish people, and then he joins some CD crowd, and then I guess the overall point was he was supposed to find redemption in that, but and along the way he never uh, gets addicted to heroin again. He loses please, 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 his mojo. Please. It's China White. His China White. <laughs> he loses his mojo in Grand Austin Powers fashion, and he has to exist in the city that was just destroyed, but. It's none of his street seems yeah, to be destroyed. That, I, I was actually holding off on that. It, in grandiose fashion, he's like, oh, I've lost everything. This is awful. Now, keep in mind... This was the room she died in. It was like, motherfucker, this is still standing. Well, actually... <laughs> the whole here, city was dead except for this one. The, she should have been okay. It was kind of like, if you think of Jacksonville, it's like the, there's the big buildings like the or like if your better thing is new york like Times square is gone but he lived in one of the like surrounding boroughs yeah so like his daughter because she was living it up died because oh, she was in the okay. penthouse but his his house the like the poor man's house that they get him that he never actually goes to was fine so he's like i've lost everything i'm gonna go to like there's literally like across the street is a sinkhole and then here's his house all pristine yeah in fact, <laughs> nothing has been touched from it. There's not one piece of gravel that even, like, chipped a window or no, something. No, the only thing that was touched was the two burglars inside. His street looks better than Detroit does today. <laughs> this was the city that was just destroyed. White privilege, bro. <laughs> I mean, like, you have a, a white superhero living there. You know it can't be, a like, a junkie neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, except for the two... Like I said, there were two burglars in there, and they got the short end of the stick. They got beat up by him pretty yep. badly. They were broken, but his house was immaculate. <laughs> but this is basically just an elongated four-issue misery porn. Yeah. Where we just see someone just get knocked down and knocked down and knocked down, and it is knocked down in a way that's just like, you know, that edgy girl from high school, she's going into college, she's doing creative writing, and she's just like, I'm going to write the edgiest thing there is. And all she does is be like, and then he started doing 
cocaine. Yeah, nah, he never gets back he got up. A, this is this is one of the stories where the biggest problem with this is, whereas the other one ran on for too many issues, this one was a little short because he never got to rise. I think it is the perfect amount I mean, of issues because if this went on even one more issue, I would have to rethink how much I enjoyed this. Well, th- th- that's the problem. It was great for what it was, but the issue is it missed the point of the title. There was no rising. Literally, no <laughs> rising. Ah. <laughs> uh, Bruno, you're going to have to go ahead and explain to everyone what those eyes were you just made to oh, me Okay, you said that. All right. Well, this goes to our award we, uh, later on. But um, in true fashion, because they're literally hitting him while he's down, after he goes home and in his misery to his lovely house that is in a great neighborhood next to a sinkhole. Yeah, he, like, shoes the maid out. Yeah, like, <laughs> like there's, uh, he is visited by his ex-booty call that was also the was mother. Was Viper? Cheshire. Cheshire. Cheshire, who is a supervillain DC Universe that he had an affair with that led to the only good thing that she's ever been responsible for, which was, uh, the birth of Leanne. And her whole shtick is she's basically a supervillain who's a master of poison who like can kill you with a scratch of a nail and how hot was she knowing that he, she could literally die if she scratched him he's like i'll still tap that yeah <laughs> and so she comes and visits him to kind of like guilt him like you had one job one job was to keep our daughter safe and you couldn't even do that you piece of crap and they get into like this huge fight like while he still only has one arm and he's like crying and he's crying, crying and he's like all like super emotional wrecks so what do they do they do the next best thing they bone hate, or hate sex they try to bone <laughs> or they try to bone because it leads to like hate sex and then the next issue it's like it's okay it happens to all men yeah he has Arsenal's just kind of sitting there he's staring at the tv he has erectile dysfunction on top of everything else so like when you demasculate him and take everything away they literally took everything away. So that's what I meant when I said there is no rising, literally, of Arsenal. There is not yep. a single thing in Arsenal that rises. Yep, and straight from there, he kind of like was like, man, I can't even get my nut off. He goes to a funeral after that. Like, in between, he's like talking to the fucking spirit of jazz. And just <laughs> it is, it is like the spirit, the of, spirit of his dead best friend is just like I got some China white for you. His boy. his best friend is that of like stereotypical jazz opium addicts sitting in a club like skip skip give me that give me that China white. Zip, 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 put this in your veins. <laughs> so amidst all these hallucinations, <laughs> he's um, finally gives in and he's like. Takes down some drug dealers, and you think it's gonna go the other way. You think that he's like finally taking a turn. He's like, you know what? I don't need drugs. I'm gonna beat the. So he's the guy's like, what? We give up? We give up? He's like, no, you gotta, you gotta give me some good he's shit. Like, he's like, no, no, I didn't stop y'all. I know you got the good shit. I was like, I'm here for a hit. Yeah. It's like, see <laughs> that you give me a hit of your drugs, I'll give you a hit of my fist. And they're like, and he's like, no, no, I don't want none of that. I want that good shit, that China white shit. And he just keeps going, and it, it's like. Everything you would expect someone... And this is actually after he attended his own daughter's funeral. He's just like, I gotta go out. And he's just like, all right, he's killing... He's beating up some drug dealers. No, he's taking a hit from it. He has one of these really trippy dreams. And when it comes back from it, has one of the single most horrifying panels. Very infamous among the comics community. Where he's sitting in an alleyway. Like, stressed out, and after his hallucination, he's, like, seeing his daughter die in front of him. He's trying to, like, shake her alive. But then it cuts to reality. He's in the alleyway. He's holding a dead cat, and he's shaking it, going, Oh, Leanne? Leanne? As Batman is standing behind him, just like, oh, God. But he's got, like, a clenched fist. Because it's like, oh, God, if only you could do this. (laughs) (laughs) If only you could clench your fist, boy, (laughs) Roy. (laughs) But it's, it's... Oh, it, it is like the uh, like the foie gras of bad bad art, where you read this and then you yeah, it's a super acquired taste. But once you love it, you end up just taking you down like these roads. Where it's like, oh, these new flavor profiles start opening up. It's a little. I, uh, am I, I getting think... a little bit of cocaine in this? Am I getting a little fever dream? Yeah, I, I didn't think I was gonna like Dead Cat, but I'm a fan. <laughs> hey, Dead Cat should be their next like superhero recruit for the Justice League. <laughs> It's like if you that, like the that, red that lantern, friend the spirit of jazz, like the drug peddling spirit that just oh, 
shows up out of nowhere with some heroin. Yeah, like he literally just shows up like right at like at no point. There's no trigger or nothing. He it's just like, you know you want it. That's all he does. He just looks like you know you want it. You know you want it. Like you're an awful friend. Not even like you remember that time? You remember why we started doing it now? It's like, you know you want this. This is this is this will get you through your life. It's like, no, that was the darkest time of our day. And they're like, bitch, the darkest part of your life was right behind this. Here's some heroin. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> now with this series too, like if it would have just been about that, I still think it would have had a special moment in my heart. If I could have just seen the drug spiral that went down, but then we start bringing in uh, Green Arrow, who is Roy Harper's uh, adopted uncle, really, or his adopted dad. It's the whole ward system, which we don't have <laughs> yeah, anymore. He, he was the ward, so basically, he like Roy Harper's like the Robin to Green Arrow's Batman. Uh, and at the end of Cry for Justice, and a separate thing altogether, he ended up, after shooting an arrow straight through Prometheus's head, he turned himself in, went to jail, and all of a sudden he's all about, like, you can't throw your life away. Like I did. On revenge. Like, even though Prometheus is dead, you can't keep going after the people who I, killed uh, Leanne. I gotta add a little side note to that, though. Because in between the uh, Cry for Justice, there was a single issue of Justice League <clears throat> called the fall of Green Lantern that led to the rise of Arsenal. Which would uh, explain why I was so confused as to why this justice-seeking motherfucker who murdered uh, Prometheus in cold blood and I was all of a sudden a very soft man who is still dressed as Green Green Arrow in jail. So, after his whole... um, It basically explains the whole story. So it starts off right where Cry for Justice ends. He puts an arrow in Prometheus and then he proceeds to which apparently is becoming a trope for DC heroes when they do something really fucked up, pretend like nothing happened, uh, and just pretends to still be involved looking for Prometheus. Who, pray tell, who you could be talking about? Fuck you, Tim King. (laughs) Tom King. Tom King. No, no, it's Tim King. Until he redeems himself. Until he redeems himself for Heroes in Crisis and Barry Allen, he will always be Tim King in your brains. No, but, uh... Yeah, so he's just pretending everything's fine and just basically waiting down the clock, not even telling them, like, look, guys, I was in a bad place and I had an opportunity and I freaking took it. Look, he was a terrorist. What were we going to do? Hold him and maybe he gets away. He deserves the death penalty. I gave it to him. No, no. He pretends everything's fine. Everything's cool. And then, sure enough, the, the Shade, who is a villain that's reformed, brings some of the Justice Leagues, including, I think, Hal Jordan, to the this place. And it's like, look, this is what happened. And the arrow's still there. He didn't clean up the body, thankfully, and try to pin it on some other heroes. <laughs> I wonder who you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so like, it's just like, all right, yep, it was me. I did this. And then he, after, rather than fight his friends, because he knows that that's one step too far, he turns himself in. And they, like, it's basically like he Baker-acted himself. But like superhero style, so they put him in like the raft or some superhero penitentiary, like a supermax. But he's in his full costume with the mask, so he doesn't like. We're gonna put this guy here. Who is he? Just this guy. You know him. Don't worry. He's the Green Arrow. He killed Prometheus. You know the guy that killed this whole city. We had to arrest him just because. We're just gonna keep him in his costume. It's fine. No one else gets their costume. Green Arrow. We'll just let him keep his tights. So yeah, and I mean. So then you've got Roy Harper goes ahead and and goes to the same Supermax facility, and you think it's this poignant moment between him and his... Well, I guess the only way to describe it, I don't know what the reverse relationship... Like, you have a ward? What does that make you? Like, the ward daddy? Like, I don't know. <laughs> the ward daddy? <laughs> like, I don't know what that title is. Let me is. type that into Google and see what images come up uh, for ward cause, daddy. Cause wards don't don't exist anymore, but apparently it was a thing that back in the day, rich people would just be like, I'll take him! Sure, load him in. I need a kid. That boy with the luscious lips. Like, I need a kid for reasons. <laughs> Bring him to me. And I shall call him. He's not my son. He's my ward. He looks like he's got tiny hands. <laughs> so, apparently... Perfect whatever, for retrieving things. Whatever the ward relationship reverses, it's, you think it's a poignant moment between, like, adopted son and adopted father. And instead, he's like, nope, I'm here for revenge. Because the spirit of my dead daughter is telling me to kill this guy and so it leads to one of the darkest scenes in this whole series which is they're trying like they let green arrow out to stop um 
Roy Harper, who's now got his like bionic arm on. Yeah, and, and he's just kicking ass all just beating through this the thing. Shit so of it. this is after the 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 cat incident. He's after they put him in rehab. Yep, after they put him in rehab. After like they kind of fixed the nanite situation. And well, they, they didn't. Actually. Oh, they didn't fix the nanite. No, they, no, no, the whole that was the whole point is that like they put the arm on him, knowing full well that the rest of his body would rot, and then re- the reject only thing it. left of him would be the arm. So like all he all he does is kept taking drugs. He's like, it's a medical condition because I need this arm. Drugs, by the way, that he stole from Doctor Midnight. He stole drugs from Dr. Midnight, and then he stole drugs from the street dealer, and he's just mixing them up, having himself a nice old little prescription party. Mm, yeah, a little, little one-man cocktail, him and a dead cat that he calls his Kind of makes you wish that he brought, he kept up with the jazz hallucinations, because then they, when it switched to his daughter, it got really creepy. Yeah. So at one point, she's like a zombie, just walking around like, kill him. Oh, and I've he, got a really good one from issue two, but we'll go ahead and get to that. <laughs> but yeah, so his daughter's just like, kill him, you must avenge me. <laughs> and so he goes, and fights green arrow who's blocking his way and he's like i gotta do this takes out a knife and closes the gate and it's locked from the inside so green arrow can't open it and all of a sudden i mean it's off panel but you can tell because there's just a shadow of a body and blood sprawled all over the floor and he went to town on killing the execute uh the electrocutioner and avenging his daughter basically locked ollie queen in a way that he had to just watch him murder the electrocution and just watch how his protege had fallen even further Mm -hmm. than he himself had fallen so that's why i said when there's literally no rise because there was no redeeming this he they were literally setting him up to be just a bloodthirsty uh like akin to the punisher just yeah there is no saving these people they're villains they need to go now, uh, this was written by a guy named J.T. Kroll, who would go on to take over the Green Arrow series. And before that, he'd really only worked on, like, Michael Turner, like, Soulfire, yeah. uh, Fathom. And I almost remember that when he came in, like, there was, like, an idea of him being a really good writer. Because apparently he did some cool things with the Fathom and the Michael yeah. Turner verse. But when he got to DC, it was just like, oh, and <laughs> who hired this guy? I, I think the biggest problem with him is when he was doing Fathom, um, the whole Aspen series, is, is he had no actual <clears throat> continuity to work with. So he could yep. just write these characters, and it worked out well. But when they did it, it's like they kind of gave him cliff notes, but he didn't know any of them. So he's like, well, this is how I would see it when I write it. And it just didn't live up to what people were expecting. I mean, it, it was really bad. I mean... Roy Harper's hallucinating a dude that looks out of place, like, even in his own time period. Mm. Um, and then we have art by this guy named Geraldo Borges, who, uh, for the life of him, cannot draw fingers. No. And usually I don't pay that much attention to figures unless I'm reading something like by Steve Ditko, who's really good at the Ditko fingers. Yeah. Like, you watch Spider-Man, like, the Thwip fingers yeah. are awesome. You see uh, even the Doctor Strange movies... Every time they do some kind of mystical thing, yeah. like there's some really good handwork there. That's all Steve Ditko. But that's the only other time I've ever paid attention to fingers or anything. But then when Geraldo Borges comes on, he does this really strange thing where it's just like you can tell he hates drawing hands and fingers. And he's actually bad. Whenever there is a finger panel, it's like they're all clumped together in like this action figure pose. There's, there's only three different like i mean there's there is a, some variations where he does have fingers but they still don't look right but they're like pasted together almost like uh the the penguin from batman yeah. returns it's all like formed together but like, no even when he draws trademark. the fingers they're like they're not like oh, fingers yeah. they're they like, like extra knuckles they're like they're almost like extra knuckles or they're not point correct like when he draws an open hand like the fingers just <clears throat> like they'd have webbed hands essentially but the biggest thing is they're always in one of three poses. I'm going to give you an order that you're going to see it. So the first pose that you're going to get is kind of like if you're just going to slap a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So you got your fingers all the way up and your thumb... Flat hand, looking for a Flat hand, but with the thumb just slightly out. Like you didn't quite... Like you just decided to slap her without thinking about it. So you had your hand kind of out. Almost like a little V. Then you've got the claw. Where it's like you're trying to make a C, but you didn't quite get there with your hand. And it's just like you're constantly like, the claw. You're good enough to survive life as a lobster boy. And, and the winner is the clenched fist. Which is really ironic given that the main character is missing an arm the entire time. Which, by the way, I actually have... I, I went and screenshot every single uh, one where... Every, every single one. It's like a, a functionless clenched fist. 
where unless they were punching somebody, I could excuse that, right? But if I'm looking through this, just in this first issue alone, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen clenched fists wielded by characters just like standing around and looking at him and probably the most like even the main character the one that lost his arm his other hand is just the only thing he's just wielding it like a club like he's about to smack somebody but my like the one that exemplifies the whole thing is like they're standing over Roy Harper trying to beat the shit out of Black Canary for whatever reason I think she just told him that Leanne's like the wrong thing yeah Yeah. and he's just like you didn't do anything to stop her so Batman's standing there he's got a clenched fist Cyborg's in the back clenched fist held upright in the pose Green Lantern's a, a, a classy motherfucker he's got two clenched fists one of them showing off the ring the other one just kind of like hanging on to his this. hip and then Donna Troy is hidden behind everything but you can almost tell that if she had the chance she would be clenching her fist right behind Roy Harper like obstructed it's like that scene from Austin Powers where instead of like stopping the nudity you have to figure out like okay how many clenched fists are behind this object right now I have to point out, and this is a little callback, because it just dawned on me right now to cry for justice. The first line that uh, Roy Harper says when he walks through the door after he's been attacked by Prometheus, after he loses his arm, is, I can't feel my fingers. That bitch you know. You saw that get cut off. You saw your whole arm get cut off, and you're like, I can't feel my fingers. And I think he was just foreshadowing that for the next series, he would not be able to use his fingers the entire time. It was nothing but clenched fists. Every so he wasn't superhero about- in the DCU got into the wrong thing of super glue like you do when you're a kid. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was basically foreshadowing. He wasn't talking about the hand. He was literally talking, I can't feel my fingers. They're stuck in a fist for too long. I can only see knuckles. Oh, I only see knuckles. At most, I can get to half claw. I can hold a toy gun. <laughs> I have a kung fu grip. Yeah. And then, really, that's, that's the entirety of this series. But one more thing I want to point out as far as art goes is Mike Mayhew... Uh, does a guest spot at the beginning during like a, a dream sequence where yes. Roy Harper is dreaming about his daughter and they're having a good day out and they're looking through things and they're going shopping. She's loving looking into all the windows and window shopping and all of a sudden the streets start cracking and then they just fall into it and that's before Roy Harper wakes up in like this pool of sweat. But McMahew, a guy who pretty much made his name doing like pretty good covers for Marvel and every once in a while they throw him in on full interiors and I'll tell you I've never been a fan of his interior work I kind of like his covers but this one is probably some of the worst artwork uh, he's ever done because it is something that is so simple that just ruins everything and makes it look so derpy as if you look at the little girl her pupils are look like they're going two different ways and especially when you see her looking in at that like purple teddy bear or Mm -hmm. something through the window you see her reflection and it is the derpiest looking face where she's like trying that thing where she's like can i make one of my pupils look straight in toward my nose and the other one look straight ahead she looks like she's half cross-eyed and why roy harper had like dreamt up this dream where like maybe this was one of the things signifying like hey this isn't real but damn, was it one of the creepiest little pictures of a little girl she that lo- I've she, ever seen drawn? She looks evil. She looks like Reagan from the freaking Exorcist because of the reflection and the way her mm. eyes are cut, which is also really bad because she's half Asian. So like, oh, is she? Because <laughs> Cheshire is Asian. Oh, okay. <laughs> so she's half Asian. So it gets even more racist when you think about they drew, they drew the like half Asian uh, like half Asian half white girl like a full on white girl with evil eyes. Like they reverse the Asian eyes and put them upside down. And that's what it looks like. See, if you turn them up, if you turn the thing upside down, the eyes look right. Yeah. But, but it's almost like it's almost kind of like someone just didn't get it and just flipped, rotated the image, but just the eyes. And so she has this derpy-looking, yeah. awful evilness. And it's actually something that John Romita Jr. does a lot too. Is like if you look at his pupils, he can never really match up the pupils. But this is Mike Mayhew, who's like prides himself, at like made a name for himself on like almost photorealistic work. And then he's doing something so weird with the eyes, and it's just like, oh, well, I mean, even the cover, like, bad. even the thing where he holds the um, the arm, and then the arm starts falling off, that's pretty cool. But then it rips off, and instead of it being, like, blood and guts, it's, like, 
a stuffed bear. It's like, well, that's because she was white. Sorry, sorry, uh, window shopping for the stuffed bear. I guess so, but then why the arm? Like, why not just have it just rip off and just holding an arm? Why the? Why is he a stuffed bear all of a sudden? Huh. Like I actually, that, I actually kind of like that one. So a lot of the symbolism and stuff I like it in this one, but it's just like the eye work. It's something so simple, and a shocking amount of creators actually drop the ball big time when it comes to the eyes. So, with that being said, we, we've kind of wrapped up the whole story of this. Uh, we know at the end that Arsenal kind of goes off on his own, and at the end, does he join up with Deathstroke yet, or is that him and Cheshire just kind of go out? Uh, stuff? Well, Cheshire basically says, like, I have a plan, and we're going to take down, because, you know, uh, the whole story goes that I'm, we're... Like, he needs to find something. Like, he needs to make someone pay. He's still revenge-driven. And she's like, I have a plan. And it involves taking down Deathstroke, which is basically, as a titan, that that's their joker. So he's like, all right, what's it? And it's like, well, we're going to go work for him. Uh, and then, uh, like, that'll help you out. And they go join him, and then really just becomes Cheshire. And then he just comes in later on. And it turns out that, yeah, they, they were planning a big double cross from the get-go. So this was their... <laughs> their big plan yeah but like i said it doesn't really lead to anything heroic or any rising it's just just uh, him being him until the new 52 kicks in and yeah like, pretty, uh let's just they, etch a sketch this and then make him even worse yeah no new 52 killed him it, well they already had nothing to work with and then the new 52 is like all right let's turn him into jason todd but with arrows yeah and then let's make jason todd kind of cool but not really mm-hmm. like which was weird because he was literally working next to Jason Todd <laughs> in the Outsiders. Yeah. With Red Hood and the Outsiders. So, uh, oh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, I think. Yeah. Was it? It was the Outlaws. Uh, so, we're going to go ahead and give our awards for the end of this one. Uh, we talked about some of the scenes that really, really jumped out to us. For Fizzle Reel, the one that was the single worst moment in this entire comic, that image of him holding the dead cat. And talking to it like it was his dead daughter. I think the whole sequence that led up to the dead cat, where he's in the alleyway and he's like, yeah. after the funeral, like, and he's just like, you think he's craving justice because that's all he's been ranting about, and he beats this like these two like drug dealers that are there going like, hey man, we're gonna get you really fucked up, and he's just like, and they're like, we give up, man, we're sorry, and he's just like, no, no, I'm not here to stop you guys. I'm here looking to score. And then how like embarrassing is it that Batman's the one that finds you and he's just like, I don't even want to punch you. I just want to find you some help. <laughs> well, <laughs> it. it's it's sad because it's it's like of all the bat like if it was Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne would have just punched him. He got lucky. Because Bruce Wayne is still dead at this point. This is Nightwing taking oh, over the cow. Yeah, this is right. Dick Grayson, his his buddy in the Titans was just like Cause if if Batman had done that, I'd been like, that's a wrong character right there. Because Batman would just be like, Pff. Dick Grayson is like, dude. It's like, dude. You need help, like, dude, for real. Remember when we used to be Titans? Like, come on, man, Remember just trust we, me with this. We used to be tight, bro. You need to let go of that cat. You need to let go of all the cats. That cat, <laughs> the China cat. You need to get some therapy, sir. And the next one, should have swiped left. We're talk- highlighting uh, really bad relationships in this one. Bruno. I got to go with uh, Cheshire and Arsenal. Their relationship is anything but functional. Mm-hmm. Um, they get together on a tryst produce a baby she's like here you keep it <laughs> and he raises it and then it dies and she comes back like all entitled and like you killed my child that i abandoned and told you to raise let's bone oh. and, and it's like we're gonna fight and then we're gonna do it but you can't do it it's okay it happens to all guys i'm gonna go join the titans i like how she went super aggressive to oh, baby it's like, it happens to all guys. It happens to everybody. Well, like, I mean, look at it this way. They literally had... The first time they had sex was they were in the middle of a fight and they got it on. I'm pretty sure that they could only get it up on their fighting. So, like, legitimately, that was just their foreplay. Like, that's just that how they go. A little, uh, little uh, uh, aphrodisiac inside those uh, nails. Like, like seriously, maybe, like, every couple of months she just comes by and like, all right, time for that fight sex. Let's do this. Hmm. <laughs> She walks out with peanut butter on her. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that's like, who's hungry? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right, next up, Crisis and Continuity. This one where we look about something that just did not make sense from one uh, from a continuity standpoint. And not really knowing about the rise of Green Arrow, it made no sense for me. Fall of Green Arrow. A fall of Green Arrow. <laughs> it made no sense to me that the Green Arrow was the guy trying to talk arsenal out of killing the electrocutioner yeah, even though he fulfilled his justice requirement 
and then pop the cap straight and Prometheus is like he shot an arrow right through him and yeah so if you read Fall of Green Arrow which is just a single issue um you would get the concept that like he realized like he's done enough damage he's he filled fulfilled what he was out to do which is really sad because like all he did was take out a terrorist I mean if if Green Arrow was the guy that put a arrow through Osama bin Laden's head would anyone be like oh my god you've gone too far like no you just saved the taxpayers a huge yeah. court process that's why and a death let, penalty that's why they let him keep his costume <laughs> like yeah it's like it's like all right occasionally we He's might the only man sitting in jail with his arrows <laughs> like, right just sitting there so polishing his arrows he's like yep you'll need me sooner or later because i'm whittling a quiver <laughs> we're gonna get there here we go whittling an arrow a day <laughs> yeah oh. do you have any more rock <laughs> that i can just chip out <laughs> but, the next one, the dishonorable demise. Well, this I, award actually, goes to the electrocutioner officially because officially. The, the electrocutioner died in this one, and it was like a pretty brutal one where you didn't think it was going to go this way. You thought Green Arrow was finally talking some sense into him, and then Roy just locked Green Arrow and said, "You're going to watch this," and they just murdered the electrocutioner right inside the supermax. But there's another technicality here. The honorable mention for this one is. Uh, Roy Harper's arm. Yeah. All right. For a dishonorable demise, we've got to point out the fact that right from the first issue, you get to see the battle, which you didn't get to see in Cry for Justice because it was an Because of one of the many battles. Like, yeah. I wonder how many other miniseries jumped out just off of the shit that happened off panel in that. So you get to see, like, he avoids these flying discs, and then with a giant flame sword that he's clearly stole off of Halo, he, like, chops off Roy's arm. And then you get to cut to where Roy wakes up from this coma, and they're like, oh, well, whatever he used to cut off your arm, that energy beam also had nanites and a flesh-eating bacteria. So we can't just rebuild you an arm. Um, it's it's, ne- it's ne- rejecting all cybernetic implants, um, and it's rotting away. So your arm is going to basically give you, like, flesh-eating bacteria. Um which is really funny because uh, uh, when we first talked about this, the people that are in the room, one of them is Cyborg, whose body is 60 to 70% machine. Yeah. So they couldn't just cut him off at the shoulder and build a robotic shoulder and arm? Um, they couldn't cut him off at the torso? <laughs> like, like, the dude is literally part his, machine. His only human feature is his face. And like one arm and leg. He's like a half bionic man and like that That progressively well, got... I'm sorry, Cyborg took all our resources. You're just gonna have this little play arm. Yeah, you're gonna go like, 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 like you got one of like the not quite ready for Cyborg parts. Yeah. That's like what happened. Like you, you have the Windows 98 of <laughs> Cyborg body parts. Here you go. It's gold. Enjoy though. And Cyborg's just clenching his fist. And he's like, Sorry bro. Yeah right? Uh, everybody's clenching their fists at you. So yeah so they can every time they attach the arm it's super painful which supposedly is is going to get is what gives him a pass on his drug use because it has actually he he's finding these opiates that are dulling the connection because every time he puts on the cybernetic arm to do anything he's in incredible amounts of pain which is funny because Every time he puts on his arm, he loses not a single, like, ounce of his accuracy. In fact, in one part, he breaks the bow and throws the bow and hits the bullseye. He's more accurate with this, and he's treating it like it's a curse. Yeah, and and so every time he puts it on, it's, like, incredibly painful. Like, the basically the equivalent of, like, tasering his balls every mm-hmm. time he puts it on and he's screaming. So he's like, I just need that drugs, man, to keep working. And somehow he's more proficient as a crime fighter with the arm even though he's strung out on all these drugs. So for Dishonorable Demise, it's definitely got to go to, as an honorable mention, Roy Harper's arm that's sitting there and rotting away. And then by far, for a silver lining, where we're looking at the best part of this series, and this actually did have some really entertaining moments in it, but the most entertaining part was the drug lingo that he drops down when he's trying to get it. And also, I will throw in that it's actually pretty believable, and I actually kind of like the characterization of him being, like, spiraling back in a junkiedom. And, like, all the parts where he's interacting with his hallucinations are actually pretty well done for the most part. It's just that juxtaposed against the reality where everyone else is reacting to it, and also the fact that this is, what, a part, a major, hyped up to be a major part of the DCU. Yeah. Uh, it just, woo, tonally, this 
this does not fit. I mean, I, I gotta agree with you. They, as far as it goes, they did a really good job of capturing like a descent into drugs. I mean, everything from like the first hallucination that kicks it off, which is such an outlier because it's it's a face from his past that he hasn't seen in forever. That he he's pretty sure OD to begin yeah. with. And he just keeps having these, like, fa- the guy just keeps popping up in his mind. It's like literally a, a literal monkey on his back that he can't shake. And then it circumvents itself to, like, his daughter um, to the point that he's cradling a dead cat, thinking, apologizing to the cat for not being able to protect it, to then his daughter coming back and becoming, like, an avatar for his desire for vengeance to the yeah. point that she's a zombie and still motivating him, like... Yep. I will do this so we can be together. She's like, like Jason Voorhees' I'm doing mom. This. <laughs> yeah, like, go get him, son. Yeah, definitely that. But the drug lingo. I mean, it's so ridiculous, but so on point when they, like, what they call China Cat, instead of just calling it straight heroin, there was, oh, the best one, I'm trying to find it, was what the drug dealer called his product. Because, like, it... Something about a train concept. Hold on, I think I it found... It was like the Asian oh, train, China train or... Yeah, Asian man. Train. This here is called the A-Train. The A-Train. It'll take you wherever you need to get, no lie. Like, that's that's great. Like, that's some after-school special that, stuff. That is literally, like, the... That's it. And, by the way, I have to point out, that's issue two. And they hand him what looks like little metal whippets. And he takes it, and you just see him back sitting there with one arm freebasing in like yep. what looks like a junkie layer, essentially. And it cuts through, and that's probably my favorite panel in, in all of this, which is definitely the silver lining for me. His eyes are like lit up, and then they start just going up as he's yep. like, as the drugs are kicking in, and he's just clear eyed. And then it cuts to a picture of his daughter, and that's when the hallucination with his daughter starts. And I'm like, wow, like, I've ever. There was a great like picturing of like what it means to be that fucked up. That was I would it. honestly say that uh, if this had no superheroes in it, this wasn't set in the DCU, but this was a Vertigo series. Yeah, this would have been like those middle of the road Vertigo series. I feel like if it was just like set in that realm and a more like if it was grounded environment, if it was grounded away grounded, from yeah, this probably would have been something that probably wouldn't have been memorable. But would have been something that kind of like skated by and like, oh yeah, that was okay. But as it stands in the middle of capes and cowls, tights, superheroes, fisticuffs, this stands out as a major blemish and does so in such entertaining ways that I 100% recommend that everyone go out and read Rise for Ju- Rise of Arsenal. Yeah. Forget Cry for Justice. Not def- Fuck that thing. Let it burn in a fire. Rise of Arsenal is what you need to be reading. Yeah, Rise of Arsenal will definitely keep you hooked in. And honestly, the biggest detriment is the fact that it takes established DC characters and just runs them through the ringer, but with no redeeming factor, with no care for characterization. I mean, like I said, not more than an issue ago, you had, or or not last uh, story arc, you had Green Arrow... I'm going to put an arrow right through this dude's head. Screw that guy. And he's like, no, you can't beat up the dude that 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 set up or that was hired by the dude that I just killed to go get your daughter. Like, it won't bring her back, Roy. You need to let it go. Like, bro, you, you're you in jail because you didn't let it go. Yeah. Like, this, just and, let me be my own man. And it's like, and it wasn't your daughter that died. It was my daughter. So, like, let me do this. I lost an arm, a daughter, and everything but my house. <laughs> that nice, nice house. My pristine house that will still sell for $220,000 if I list it tomorrow. Because it's in a white neighborhood. <laughs> Alright guys, that does it for this week's Oh God It Burns. We've just covered Rise for Arsenal. We had a, a an awesome time reading this. I, I honestly couldn't put it down. It was quite the page turner. So if you like awful things, you like your comics awful, you gotta go ahead and read this one. Mm-hmm. Next time we come back, we're gonna be... Uh, Dipping our toes back into Marvel for one of the most infamously horrible uses of a villain's son, (laughs) (laughs) which there are many of, we're going to be looking at Ron Zimmerman's and John McCrea's Get Craven, which came out coinciding with the first Spider-Man movie. And yeah, and much like the other Zimmerman, it's awful. <laughs> yep. We're actually going to have to do a Ron Zimmer month because just about everything he touched, and he didn't do a lot in comics, Thankfully. but everything he did is just like, wow, this is like 
a contender for this show. Yeah, Except absolutely. for, I will say, no, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it on the next one. But there is one that I genuinely really like of Ron Zimmerman's. But you'll have to wait out until we come back for Get Craven in two weeks right here on Oh God, It Burns. All right. And uh, just before we go, um, since we didn't get to do it last time, I think uh, recommendations. Oh, recommendations. We didn't do that no, last we, time. No, we didn't do it last time. But that's because technically this was like a two-parter. I mean, you kind of, the only validating reason to read cry for justice is if you read the rise of arsenal otherwise it loses its appeal so i feel like this is more like just a, a segue to two-parter so i think that now would be a great time to go ahead and bring out some recommendations after you've read the full like grasp of the story and you've seen the worst that it has to offer and that really bad just kernel of awesomeness mm-hmm. that comes from that shitstorm that was rise of arsenal so i think now would be a great time to talk about some great recommendations uh from the dc universe so what's a good substitute for like if you if you're feeling this what would you uh all right if you're feeling this i've got to recommend um those prometheus as far as like the actual good prometheus so new year's evil anything by grant yeah. morrison where he introduces Prometheus, even though, like, again, he always goes out like a punchline, um, the build-up to that is just, like, it's bad done well. Like, yes, he's gonna be taken out in the most ridiculous fashion, but he's gonna look like a total badass until, like, it hits that 360, and then he's just on his butt, and you're dying laughing, because only Grant Morrison could pull a story like that, where the the villain goes out in such a lackluster fashion, like like a crotch shot, yeah, but he's such a badass up until that point. So I definitely got to go with as far as classical that if you're going to talk about current storylines and stuff that is a good continuation of characters and building on a legacy, which is what this was supposed to do, I've got to give it up to Shazam. The new the new Shazam is really great. If you love the movie, this is basically what the movie was based on. So you have Shazam and his family, and they're going into these kingdoms of the Magic Lands. Uh, and basically, the wizard turns out has. If you saw the movie, there were other chairs. Well, that came directly from this new comic book, where he, he's one of many wizards, and each wizard protects a land, and now they have to go to the lands to find these wizards. And so, they're going through everything from games land, kid land, and all these different dynamics, and it really fleshes out the characters. Um, another series that I would absolutely have to mention, and you got it here, Dial H for Hero, because that's the zany part of this where nothing makes sense so there's these there's this hunt for this old school red rotary phone and every time you dial it you dial up a new hero what's great about this series is not only does it create original superheroes but it gives you a little bit of a backstory of how these heroes came to be so you get to find out monster truck man or like different like or anime themed heroes or like there's one that's clearly inspired like by vertigo death I can't even remember their names. They're that ridiculous. But, like, every time they do a hero, it's like, the greatest hero you may, you'll ever see for the first and possibly last time. And here's their thrilling origin. It's always like a one-plate splash. And it leads to this whole arc where everyone's trying to get this phone. And that's the central theme. So it's a great story, but with a lot of, like, Easter eggs that All just right, dig good. it. And I've, all, I've already got uh, my recommendation for this one, especially when we're talking Justice League. I will tell you, I've never been a fan of the Justice League outside of, like, the cartoon. Uh, the movie was definitely something. What movie? I blocked yeah. it out. It's, it, it's, it's gone from you my memory. the Snyder Cut? <laughs> the lost Snyder Cut? But Justice League never really clicked with me, but... When I went back, uh, it was actually around this time, like a little bit after, they did uh, the follow-up on the Maxwell Lord yes. series uh, that started with Countdown to Infinite Crisis, where Maxwell Lord turned out to be a bad guy and Cat Blue Beetle straight in the head. Uh, Judd Winnick wrote this uh, bi-monthly series called Justice League Generation Lost. And you want to see like B, D-list, Z-list Justice Leaguers done right, this is where you go to see that. It's got Booster Gold. It's not like a uh, Firestorm. Is it Firestorm? I think it's Firestorm. It's been a while since I've Something like it. that. But it, it just pulls into all these great characters from the Giffen and DeMatteis era. And it follows up on Maxwell Lord as they're hunting him. Yeah. And like in the aftermath of... Actually, were they hunting Maxwell Lord? Um, it started off with the Maxwell Lord because what happened is... Because Wonder Woman killed him. Yeah, but he came back. That's right. Uh, all right, quick, a little quick thing. It's been a while. She snapped his neck. 
Then they had uh, Blackest Night, and then it led to Brightest Day, where random heroes, including Martian Manhunter, oh, that's right. were all brought back to life. One so of yeah, them, Maxwell Lord's back. One of them was Maxwell Lord, mm-hmm. and everyone's like, why did they bring him back? Because all of them had a purpose to fulfill, including Maxwell Lord. So now they're on the hunt for him after Brightest Day. So as far as Justice League stuff go, I can't recommend that enough. In fact, if you see anything written by Judd Winnick, uh, he's a very, very underappreciated writer, and most times if I go back and read his stuff, it is like I've got to say, almost like modern. Comedy. If you want to read a really great um, story by Judd Winnick, and it's a shame that like he left the book Outsiders when he did the new Outsiders, Outsiders. with Metamorpho mm-hmm. that introduced um, Thunder, uh, Black uh, Black Lightning's daughter, yeah. uh, as a premier, um, you know, gay superhero. Uh, Grace now, go Troy. back and read his run on Green Arrow. That's that true. was good comics. That was dude. that was good comics. Judd Winnick's run on Green Arrow. Now that I mention it with uh, Phil Hester, uh, guys, it's been a lot of fun. We got to put a cap on this one we right now. Do. Lots of stuff that you can follow up on. Do not skip out on Rise of Arsenal though. If you need to read everything else on Wikipedia just to get yourself caught up, you're not going to need it though. No, it's got everything you need right here. Everything that Cry for Justice promised. This one fills up on it. And it does it in such a spectacular failure that it is 100% a recommended read. Oh, God, it burns. Well, there you have it, Burners. That was our two-part uh, tribute to Dan DiDio, uh, DiDio's Decree, uh, where we uh, cover those two very, very miserable but yet super essential series. Now, I got a lot of enjoyment out of this one, and uh, hopefully uh, you guys did too, even though this was something that uh, we almost never intended to have published. <laughs> you know, every single podcast we do some stuff uh and behind the scenes, they kind of hammer it out until they get the rapport down. Um, but we were kind of at a loss. Uh, Bruno's been out of town. I've been down with several different types of illness. And it was just so easy for us to go back and pick this one up. And I really, really hope that you guys enjoyed it. And if not, just know that going forward, if you stick around, it does get better. Because we're going to be jumping back into Miller Time. Now, about three, four episodes ago, we started up with Miller Time with All-Star Batman and Robin. I'm going to go ahead and rebroadcast that one starting this Saturday. Just to kind of keep everything chronologically tight. Then after that, we're going to be jumping down the line with Frank Miller's Dark Knight Universe. So, coming up next, All-Star Batman and Robin, the rebroadcast. Then we're going to hit Dark Knight Strikes Again. Uh, Holy Terror, which is the unofficial sequel to Dark Knight Strikes Again, but it goes together really, really well. And then, uh, from there, we're going to go into Master Race, uh, hit on um, The Golden Child, Last Crusade, and eventually lead up to Superman Year One, and then the... Batman Spawn issue. I'm sure I'm leaving something out, but all of it will be covered in the coming weeks and months as we go into this. And going forward, we got some very, very exciting things planned. So if you have not done so already, I want you to go ahead and smash that subscribe button. Uh, make sure you get in contact with us on anchor.com. Uh, we do have a uh, anchor, which is what hosts it for us. We do have open. Uh, like a submission type thing for if you want to leave us a voicemail or something. I'll promise you we'll play it on the show if we, even if we don't like it, we'll fucking run it. It's fine. Just go ahead and put something in there. Uh, but in the meantime, guys, uh, good night and keep it crispy. <laughs>